Well, hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we go through the Bible book by book in a way that's deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Solid Life Whole Bible Reading Plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. Yeah, and we would love for you to send in all of the questions that you may have as you read along with us uh, that may come up. We would love for you. You can do that. Uh, send questions to info@grove.church. Uh, or if you want to find Evan in the lobby and write handwritten notes of questions to him too, you can do that as well. Sure, that's just probably the probably the most effective way to get it done. <laughs> just for you, bro. Uh, but with that being said, we're going to go ahead and jump into this week's Bible talk. Um, so last week we wrapped up uh, the book of 1 Samuel and the story really of, uh, of Saul and his transition of power into David. Um, and this week we're going to start the book of 2 Samuel. So just a reminder, uh, when these books were originally written, the reason they were divided isn't because, you know, one is the book and the other is the sequel. Um, they were divided really because of scroll length, because it was so long you couldn't really fit everything into, into one book. And so this is meant to be one cohesive story that's going out. With that being said, there are actually a lot of differences between First and 2 Samuel, um, mainly because... If you remember when we talked about 1 Samuel, uh, there were three major characters of the book. There were Samuel, Saul, and David. 2 Samuel, uh, that structure is not there. There's only one major character. 2 Samuel is all about uh, the reign of David. And it, it can really be divided into four parts. Um, it doesn't always go chronologically, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But um, chapters 1 through 10 focus on what we'll call them David's triumphs. So the good parts about the reign of of King David. And so one of the things I think is really interesting is after King Saul dies, uh, King David takes power. And a lot of people kind of assume that like, well, David obviously hated Saul. And so to get, in, to get on the good side uh, of David, you just have to claim like, oh, I never liked that Saul guy anyway. That guy was a real jerk. And so there's one guy named um, Ish-boseth, or sorry, not Ish-boseth. Um, there was another person who came forward and claimed to have assassinated Saul. And so he comes to David and basically says like, hey, I killed the king for you. Uh, you're welcome. And we know from uh, reading First Samuel and from reading Chronicles as well that Saul was not assassinated. Saul killed himself on the battlefield. Um, but David was so enraged with this person that he would even claim to have um, – uh, I think the, the language he uses is to kill the Lord's anointed, that he has that man killed. Um, there's another son of Saul named Ishboseth, and that's where I got that name from. Um, but again, David uh, treats him with honor, even though he is um, his rival. Some of uh, people who want to get in good with King David go and assassinate him, and David also puts those men to death. And then one of the, the more famous stories about David's really mercy on Saul and his family is with Mephibosheth, which is a great name if you are um, expecting your you know your child. So just throwing that out there. Yeah, for there's you. there's a lot of you I know that are expecting children soon. So here's the name that you should put at the top of your list. You'll yeah. be a trendsetter. I mean, some people want to go with David, which is fine, but I That's think cute. Mephibosheth is really is manly. You know, yeah, it's a great name. Uh, but anyway, all that being said, uh, Mephibosheth really represented, especially in the ancient world, um, a rival to David. So he was Jonathan's son, and so David's friend, um, but he had a claim to the throne. Like, he could go forward and say that David is not the legitimate king. Um, I am the next in heir uh, from King Saul, uh, the next in line from King Saul. But David finds him, and he actually um, treats him with incredible mercy, um, even though 
Mephibosheth was, I believe, uh, he was lame because of a, of a fall that he took and all these different things. But David treats him as as one of his own sons and shows incredible love uh, to really this family that, with the exception of Jonathan, uh, had wanted David dead for a long time. And so those are some of the triumphs um, of David. Chapters 11 and 12 uh, focus on David's personal failures. Um, there's a bunch in there, but really the main story, uh, the main thing that everyone knows that David did wrong is um, the story of Bathsheba, or if you watch Veggie Tales, um, the, the rubber ducky. But we're actually uh, focusing on Bathsheba here. Uh, just to give a quick overview of the story, um, David sees a woman um, and he commits adultery with her, and her husband is actually one of his um, his commanders in his army, one of his close friends. And so David invites the husband back through some trickery. He kind of wants to see that um, the son that she's going to have, he wants to pass it off like it was the husband's son the whole time or the husband's child the whole time. Uh, that ends up not working, and so to cover it up, David sends the man back to the front lines and basically tells one of his other generals, um, I, I want you to make sure this guy dies in battle. Like, whatever you have to do, make it happen. That ends up happening. It's an incredible sin of David. Um, I don't want to spoil everything for you because we're definitely going to be highlighting that as, as it comes across, but um, it's one of the great failures of David, and when he's confronted with his sin, um, it, it gives us a really interesting look into why David is referred to as a man after God's own heart, and and basically because he answers confrontation with his sin in that moment with repentance. Well, yeah, and that even goes back to as we talked about Saul and the journey of like Saul's uh, kingship, and we we brought it up in a couple podcasts ago. But the the the, the contrast between the two, and we'll we'll probably make sure to bring it up again when we get to this point of the, of the book of mm-hmm. First uh, Samuel. But just that reminder of that contrast, like there's a right way to respond. In the midst of failure and wrong decisions, and we could we'll get to see that with David. Yeah, absolutely. Um, chapters thirteen through twenty focus on some more uh, failures of David, but these are kind of political consequences to his moral failings, if that makes any sense. And so, we get this picture into David's family, and what we find out is that, um, it, and it's an interesting theme that I think we see with a few biblical characters, like Samuel, for instance, was a very godly man. Um, but the Bible talks about how his sons were kind of the worst, um, and he wasn't able to um, control his sons. And David, in a similar way, is a very godly man, uh, but his sons rebel. And so we'll talk um, more about those when those come up, um, but probably the the main one that we all, if we grew up in church, maybe we know is uh, his son Absalom actually um, exiles David for a period of time and becomes king of Israel. And uh, David has to wrestle with uh, not just being betrayed by Friends, and there were many friends who um, actually sided with Absalom, but also being betrayed by his own son and coping with, um, even, you know, spoiler alert, uh, coping with the death of his son uh, at the hands of another one of his friends. And then finally, uh, so we don't end on a sad note, uh, chapters 21 through 24 focus on the lasting legacy of David and really uh, talk more about his triumphs. Um, these kind of go back in time. They're not all uh, chronologically minded, but really what I love about Second Samuel is it's kind of, um, a no pulled punches look at the life of David. And I think a lot of times what we can do even today is we'll have people that we like and we only want to view them through a good lens, or we have people that we don't like and we only want to view them through a bad lens. And we don't really take a moment to look at the humanity of people. Like when we read through the Bible, the only character that we see um, or the only person that we see who's perfect is Jesus. And other than that, it's just kind of a wide, I should say the only human that we see who's perfect is Jesus. And other than that, it's, it's just kind of this wide breadth of, um, of complication 
of sin, of redemption, uh, sometimes not of redemption, all these different things. But I think it's a really helpful thing for us to keep in mind is when we're looking at the story of King David, we're not looking at the story of someone who's perfect, but rather we're looking at the story of someone who, even in the midst of his sin and his imperfections, pursued the Lord. Well, it's funny because I always even think about having grown up in church and all the Sunday school stories, and you hear about David who killed Goliath, and you hear about all these victories. I mean, you see it even play out in scripture where David has killed, or Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Um, it's, it's a great it's, song. Yes, it is. I actually memorize it and do a dance every morning to it. Not yes. really. Um, but it's just, it's, it's interesting even to look back and just hear the kind of the quick breakdown and just remember, like, there was a lot of failure on David's part as, as a king. Um, and I don't, I don't think of David that way. I don't think of David as a failure as a king. I actually think of him as a, as a, a successful king because he was a man after God's heart. So that's, that's, it's just an interesting tension to, to walk through and play with mentally as we have broken down and we'll continue to break down this book. Uh, but moving forward, even one of the things that uh, wanting to take a few moments and highlighting from the book of Psalms um, is, is a psalm that I think is actually really kind of fun and challenging at the same time. And that's Psalm 37. Uh, just to give you a little quick snapshot about this psalm, it's, it's referred to as a wisdom psalm uh, because what it deals with is themes that are addressed in wisdom literature. And what I mean by that is, I mean, this one, the main focus of Psalm 37 is the idea that the godless or evil people are prospering while righteous people, people suffer. Uh, and, and I think we all wrestle with that at different times. Like I'm, I'm trusting God, but I don't have the rich and the bountiful life that someone who I know doesn't trust God is living with. Um, and, and it's funny and difficult at the same time in the Psalm, we see that this resolution that we get to find is where our loyalty is placed. Um, and our loyalty should be placed in God who is just righteous and faithful and not our present circumstance or our situation. Uh, and so this psalm, I want to read an excerpt out of Psalm one or thirty-seven verses one through nine. But before that, I want I just want to remind you, like it just it shows us in this psalm that God was the one who will separate the righteous from the unrighteous um, in His own time. He'll do this, and we have to wait faithfully as 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 we are loyal to God, as we trust in God, uh, and we have to wait for Him patiently. There's there's an aspect of patient uh, and faithfulness that we get to respond in His faithfulness to. Um, and then oftentimes it brings up this question, like, is it was that fair? And I think how many times do we think that in our current lot in life or, well, this isn't fair. I'm, I'm a good person. This isn't fair. Um, and I, I, this Psalm reminds us that that isn't our question to ask. It's not the right question. The question is, is he trustworthy? Uh, is God trustworthy in the midst of what I face? Um, and that's the question that even though we don't really like to wrestle with that, it's one that we have to, have to come to a point of saying. Uh, so I'm just going to read the snippet real quick. The first nine verses uh, because I just think it's, it, it contrasts and creates such tension for us today. It just says this. It says, don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they will f- soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they will soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn, and the, and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry, exclamation point in the New Living Translation. It says, turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. And it's interesting because we can, I remember as a kid hearing these verses and hearing these passages and and it's like, okay, take delight in the Lord. He'll give you my heart's desires. Well, I really want this to happen. And so if I take delight, I'm okay, God, I love you. I care about you. I like you. Uh, I'm delighting in you. Look at me. 
waiting for something to come back my way. And that's not the emphasis of the, of the psalm at all. The emphasis of the psalm is are we willing to trust in God? And no matter what our circumstances, because as we continue to lighten in him, as he becomes a source of our joy, it's actually pretty beautiful because then we realize the things that I, I once found pleasurable or enjoyable fade. I mean, it's the old hymn, like turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of this world will slowly grow dim. And I think it's such a beautiful picture and such a challenge because when when good things are happening to bad people and bad things are happening to good people, where are we at? Where do we find? And then we wrestle with this question of, is it fair? And in this psalm, it, being a wisdom literature piece, it gets that tension of, am I willing to trust in God? Yeah, it's interesting that I think there's, <clears throat> there's a, a cultural virtue of fairness that really isn't very realistic that we have. And not that, you know, we shouldn't strive for things, but, um, and I, I think it was really great on the, on the grow family podcast this last week, we had Kate Taylor talking about how um, one of the things that she has to talk about with her kids is, you know, sometimes life isn't fair um, and, and actually having to wrestle through those things. And I think growing up in, um, in school and like really when you're a child, like you're very protected from the world in most circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden you kind of grow up out of it and you realize like, Oh wait, like not everything is fair. It's not necessarily the way that it works. Um, and I, I just, I love the reminder about when we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. And I, I think that you're absolutely right. Like you don't read that as, um, if we just like strive to delight in the Lord, he'll finally give us the Ferrari or whatever it is. Um, Mine's a Lamborghini. That's what I'm hoping for sure, one day. Yeah, absolutely. Just kidding. <laughs> Honda Civic. Um, but um, the idea isn't that if we just, you know, have relationship with God, he'll give us whatever is in the back of our minds. It's really this idea that if we truly pursue relationship with the Lord, the desires of our heart change. And then all of a sudden we realize that the things that the Lord is giving us are beautiful gifts and we recognize them for that, not because um, it's necessarily what we've always wanted, but because when we pursue relationship with the Lord, we begin to see the things that he gives us as the gifts that they are. So it's a, it's a really beautiful thing. <clears throat> and it transitions really, uh, really well into our next passage because we're going to be talking about gifts. Um, but in the book of Matthew, there's a famous parable that Jesus tells. Um, it's the parable of the servants and the talents. And so uh, for those of you who don't know, a talent uh, does not mean the same thing today or as it did back then. Back then, it was a, a form of currency. And so when he's saying he's giving them talents, he's not saying he's giving them skills, but rather he's giving them a certain amount of money. Uh, but with that being said, in Matthew 25, uh, verses 14 through 23, I'm just going to read the beginning of this parable here. And it says this, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But the one who received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made you five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. And enter into the joy of, the ma of your master. And he, also, and he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. 
His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And I think when we read um, this parable, we oftentimes focus on the third servant. And so I actually didn't want to read that. Uh, we're going to talk about what happens to him. But we don't focus on on the first two servants and really um, what these different things mean. And I, I love the phrase that says, you have been faithful with little. Now I will set you over much. <coughs> and I think, how often do we neglect the small things in hoping for bigger things? And I think it's just – it's probably um, – um, particularly a, a vice of youth, but I think it just kind of applies to, to everyone. But so often <clears throat> we have these dreams about what we want to eventually do. We have these dreams about the things that we want to accomplish, but we don't take the time to um, be faithful with what God has given us. And I think even, um, like, it's one of those things I had to wrestle through a little bit too, where like, you know, because I'm, I'm in ministry and I want to be uh, a pastor and all these different things. And I think there was definitely a point where I'm, I was looking so far ahead that I didn't see the responsibilities that God had given me right now in the moment. You know, like I, I'm leading a life group. Like those are people um, who are available for like truly ministry. I have friends who, you know, whether they're going through difficult times or whether they're going through great times, like there are so many things that, um, that God puts in front of all of us every day. And I think it's such a tragedy when we ignore those things because our mind is so focused on eventually what is coming next. And, and I think what these servants do that is great is they take what God gives them. They use it to the best of their ability. They don't hide it like the, the, the final servant, but really they, they go full on with the gifts that God has given them. Um, and then when the master comes back and settles accounts. He says, you have been faithful with little, now I will set you over much. And I think that's a beautiful picture of the way that God uh, handles things. It's not that he gives us a lot. He waits for us to demonstrate that we can be faithful with the little things and we'll be eventually, we can be trusted with a lot more. Um, and then just to recap the rest of the parable, because I don't want to leave it completely open-ended, but uh, the servant actually uh, comes back. He says, you know, I was afraid of you. You gave me one talent. Here's your talent back. And it's not just that the master's disappointed with like, well, hey, I was hoping for some, some extra, but all right, whatever. No, the master's actually very angry uh, that the servant didn't do anything with the talents he had given them. And I would say for us today, it's just a great reminder to not just be looking into the future, but really be looking at what has God given us now and how can we live our lives best through the light of eternity. And what I mean by that is how can we live our life um, knowing eventually what is going to be taking place and how can we uh, do our best to further the kingdom of God? Yeah. And I think we hear about all the time is this picture of stewardship, right? It's, it's being a good manager of what we've been given. I mean, all throughout scripture, the Bible talks about gifts that we've been given, talents that he's enabled us. I mean, even the Bible says very clearly, like it is God who gives you the ability to, to create wealth and and I think that that's the, really the tension. I mean, as we we look at David's life, as we look at you know the, the Psalms, as we look at different the gospel accounts and different stories and parables and different all these different things, it, it's pointing us back to I think a challenge of how are we managing this gift of life and this gift of breath that God has given us. And um, I just yeah I just remember reading this 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 passage a while ago as you know even a young kid a long time ago I guess because I'm not really that much younger than I was, but it, it really challenged the the stewardship filter like am I gonna 
wait for the time for me to be a pastor when I felt called to ministry? Am I going to wait for the time to be a good husband when I, until I become a husband? No, like it's, it's call, I'm called to live in those regards now uh, to set us up for a greater success in the future. Uh, and even as I think about the story of David, as I, you know, jumping into First Chronicles for a moment to highlight a couple, uh, you know, just a simple story. And even as we've already talked about his triumphs and his failures, I love this, this picture in First Chronicles chapter 15. And how God stewards an opportunity, how, how, no, sorry, how David stewards an opportunity God has given him as the leader of the Israelite people, as, you know, his, his heart's desire to see the Ark of the Covenant, which was a symbolic representation of God's not just presence, but commitment to his people, um, and how, and how David managed a, a pretty big failure in his attempt to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, sure. which is a city he he made, or a tent that he created and, and pitched so that way the Ark would have a, a place to be. Um, and we see this big failure in First Chronicles chapter 14, where um, Uzzah, or Uzzah, or however you want to say, I'm Uzi, an guy, I'm an know, Uzzah, so um, that's the best thing about names. One day we're going to get to heaven and we're going to realize these are all the names and how they say it. I'm like, oh, that it's makes sense. It's actually pronounced Chad. Like, oh. Oh, who would have thought that? Thanks, Bob. Um, but it, the, as the as David's trying to usher in the Ark of the Covenant back to the city of Jerusalem, an oxen who's carrying it on a cart or whatever stumbles. And Uzzah reaches out to stabilize the Ark of the Covenant because it was such a, a sacred piece uh, of Israelite culture, history, and, and even spiritual value. And it says that God struck Uzzah down and he died right then and there. And then David's picture is he becomes angry at God because he killed Uzzah and then he fears God. It's almost this weird concoction of emotions of anger and fear at the same time because Uzzah was struck dead because the intention was good. But the reality was Uzzah was not the right person to handle the Ark of the Covenant, which was meant for God's priests, the Levite tribe and, and and the royal priests. Uh, and so then we, that's the, that's first uh, Chronicles 14, but in first Chronicles 15, we see the second attempt. Uh, so David recognizes the value. Uh, he leaves the Ark of the Covenant, Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom is flourishing. It's being blessed because the Ark of the Covenant is there. And then it picks up in first Chronicles 15, 25 to 29, where we re- really just see David recognize, I did this wrong. I, the first attempt was wrong. I shouldn't have done it that way. And he calls the Levite tribe together. He says, you alone are the ones that could carry it. No one else is going to touch it. No one else is going to be near it. But you as God's priestly tribe are in charge of the Ark of the Covenant. Which is what God had commanded earlier. Yes. Yes. In the Old Testament, or not the Old Testament, sorry, the Torah, the five books of the Bible. Mm -hmm. He explains, this is who may touch and this may who do with my sacred items. And so he finally comes back to what God had originally commanded, learning from his failure to then usher in, in in chapter 15, we then see that uh, this procession happening. And I love this picture in First Chronicles 20, 15, 25 to 29, where we see all of Israel dancing and rejoicing as the Ark of the Covenant is making its way into Jerusalem, bringing it to the, the, to the tent that has been established to home and house the Ark of the Covenant. And in Second Samuel, we actually see a more focused picture, a more uh, detailed representation of David. The focus was on David in this. And it even goes to the point where he danced undignified. He was undignified in his response and rejoicing before the Lord as the Ark of the Covenant came in. And David's wife, I, I didn't write it down, Micah? My, Mike, Michael. Michael, who was Saul's daughter, looked on him and despised him for looking foolish among God, among the people. Which my wife often does when I'm behaving like a fool in public as well. And I just say, go for it, bro. Like, no, I'm just kidding. Ashley, he doesn't really mean that. He's saying, he's actually texting you right now that he's sorry. Um, but it's just, a, it's, it's an incredible, it's an incredible picture of the joy 
of God's presence, the joy of God's promise, the joy of God's people responding to the fact that God is now with them uh, and the blessings that come with it. Uh, And I just love the picture because I think, again, it gives us a a glimpse into David's heart for God's presence. It gives us a glimpse of David's passion for uh, God's heart. And I really believe this, like it's the impact that he has on God's people with the way he leads. Yeah, I think one of the, um, I cannot remember where I heard this, um, so I can't give any credit, but one of the most interesting things I heard about, um, I was a pastor speaking and he was saying that one of the chief sins of Uzzah uh, was in assuming that the dirt was somehow less clean than his sinful hands. And I guess what I mean by that is um, looking through it, like, you know, nature hasn't sinned against God. Uh, we have. Like, nature is behaving like nature. Um, and the reason that it's broken and in the state of the, that it is is not because it's rebelled, but rather because um, it is also affected by sin. And so when when Uzzah reaches out to stop the ark from falling um, into the dirt, you could almost read it as well as um, a type of pride uh, where – us is elevating himself into thinking, you know, I know what's best for the ark. Um, I know God commanded this, but obviously this isn't what he'd want. And like, no, God was straightforward with the command. Like, you're not to touch it. And um, ultimately, as a paid the paid the price for that. Um, our final book today is the book of First Timothy, and so I'm actually really excited uh, to be starting these next few books because. Up until now, all of the epistles or the letters that we've read in the New Testament (coughs) have been written to specific churches. And so the idea was, you know, it would be like today's uh, a pastor writing to the church at Marysville, and then we would get up, we'd read it, or the church in Snohomish, um, and you'd read it to the whole church, and that was really the intention of the letters. Whereas these next four letters that we're going to read, which are First and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, um, were all written to people. And so we get this completely different picture of Paul, wherein, you know, in the church letters, he's very formal. He's working through a lot of doctrinal issues. And at the end, he thanks a bunch of people usually. But in these letters, um, it's extremely personal because he's not writing to a large group of people. He is writing to, in, in this case, Timothy and only Timothy. Um, so to give a little bit of background of, of this letter. So like we said, it's written by Paul. Um, it's written towards the end of his life. And so probably a few years before he dies or, or is killed by Nero. Um, and so it's dated to AD 64 and was probably written in between his periods of um, imprisonment in Rome. So he's in prison in Rome for a little bit. He leaves for a, a period of time. He comes back and then he stays in Rome ultimately until his death. From what we know about Timothy, he probably became a Christian as a young man during Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, we know that his mother and his grandmother were both believers um, in that they were Jews and then eventually became Christians as well. But the Bible does not tell us much about Timothy's father. We know that he's around, um, but we can infer just from the lack of information, the fact that um, it goes out of its way to say that his mother and his grandmother were believers, but not his father. We can infer that his father was probably not a believer. Um, and what we see is that Timothy joins Paul on his missionary journeys, and he's actually with Paul for, I mean, for decades. He's, he's with him. And Paul and Timothy have this beautiful father-son relationship that is closer than any other relationship that Paul has. Um, Paul has friends and, you know, for instance, Barnabas and Silas and uh, Luke and Titus, all these different people. And and like I said, we'll get to Titus here. uh, And I think next week is when we're slated to talk about it, if not the week after, but the relationship between him and Timothy is really this wonderful relationship of um, a father figure 
in the Lord. And so the letters. It's kind of like you and me. Yeah, sure. We won't say who's the father, who's the son, but it's kind of like you and me. Well, obviously. <laughs> um, but the the letters are really an encouragement of Paul to Timothy in his pastoral ministry. And so uh, Timothy ends up becoming the elder or the pastor of the church um, in Ephesus, which Paul helped to start. Um, we get a lot about the church of Ephesus in the Bible. Uh, if you remember back way back to when we talked about Revelation, which was like one of the first books we talked about, which seems out of order now, but uh, you know, it's the way the reading plan. It's a good way to do it. That way we don't end the actual calendar year in Revelation. Sure. Around I think we talked about Christmas. Genesis and Revelation at the same time, which is interesting. But anyway, all of that, sorry, all of that aside, um, the Church of Ephesus is actually mentioned in the first few chapters of Revelation. It's a major church at the time. And Paul writes uh, to Timothy some advice about basically what it means to be a pastor, what it means to lead people. Um, and we get some great things from here. Uh, we get the uh, the verse about, let no one despise you for your youth. Or in other words, um, even though you're a young man, if God has called you to do what you're supposed to do, don't let people reject you just based off of your youth. Um, and other just... Other really great things. We're going to read a little bit more through it um, as time goes on, but I would encourage everyone, um, yeah, just take some time, read through it. It's a beautiful picture of this really mentor-student or father-son relationship. And, and we also get a great picture into the way that Paul wants, um, and by extension God, because we believe that these books are inspired, wants uh, pastors and elders to behave yeah, and I really like, I'm really excited about, especially these next couple of books with Timothy. It's actually one of some of my favorite books um, as, a, as a young pastor leader. I remember as a student thinking, like, okay, don't let anyone look down on me because I'm young. Perfect. I'm going to lead the way. Uh, and then I remember studying and realizing that Timothy was not like a teenager when Paul was saying this to him. He was a little bit more of a, you know, late 20s, early 30s in that ballpark. But it's it's really encouraging too. And, and just a quick side note, just for fun fact, uh, Timothy, we almost named my son Timothy, because of these two books, because we love the story of Timothy so much. But, but then you land on Evan and I, and I appreciate that. And then so we land on Gideon, Evan, who's the rock hewer, or however you right, say that. Hey, that's himself. enough from you. All right, that's going to wrap it up uh, for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. Uh, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. If you would like to check out our other resources uh, and other podcasts, you can visit our website at grove.church. Um, and do us a favor, leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. It just helps uh, grow the community of people who are listening to the podcast we had people from australia download holla queensland hello australia province there, i want to so. come there can someone bring me out there <laughs> anyway, i'll on, guest speak on that note thank you all for listening and we will see you next week